welcome to a brand new episode of The Break. I'm Father Roderick, and I'm recording this at the end of a wonderful day I spent in the kingdom of Elphia. And I will tell you more about that day in the beginning of this show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Ah, it's so good to be back behind a microphone in a warm, cozy studio. I've got my roadcaster on my left with buttons that I can press to launch jingles. It's been a while since I've been able to do this because, as you know, I've been traveling for more than two weeks and most of the previous episodes were recorded live in London, either on the convention floor of the Star Wars Celebration or in the city of London itself. I was actually planning on recording another live episode today because I went to the biggest fantasy festival in the Netherlands, which is called Elfia, and uh, I, I took my mobile recorder with me and I was planning on giving you a tour of the premises. However, after about an hour, it started to rain, and not a little bit of rain, but just... <laughs> horrible amounts of rain. My my equipment was getting wet. There was just no way that I could do anything. Plus, since it's raining, everybody puts up their umbrella. The whole place got muddy, so you have to look where you walk. I figured, you know what, I'm just going to wait <laughs> to record the show until I'm back home and until I'm a little bit dry. So before I tell you more about this uh, this day in the kingdom of Elfia, let me first welcome a number of new patrons. Um, I have to go back in time a little bit because since I was traveling, I didn't have access to all the statistics uh, from Patreon. But we do have since March 25th, that's the last recording of the show that I did in the studio, we have a whole number of new patrons. And it's so exciting to see the community grow and thrive. And we're having a great time on our, on our private Discord server for the, for the patrons. So here is a warm, warm welcome to Murphy Arts, Jason Monty, Sudi, Dick Van Veen, Tim... Holly Max 79, John Barnes, Oliver Tan, Gloria Wilhelm, and Michael or Mikhail Hupka. I am so excited that you are uh, now part of, of the community that supports me every month uh, with micro donations. And if you want to join that community, you know where to go. It's patreon.com slash Father Roderick. I also specifically want to uh, mention Kelly and Philip, who both have upped their uh, monthly contribution. Sometimes people, you know, have a bit of a windfall or it's it's, it's they have a, a, b- a bit of extra to share. And so sometimes they will, they will go to the next tier on Patreon. So thank you so much. And for all of you that are unable to, you know, because you, everyone has his or her own financial obligations. I totally understand that. But I know that you support what I do because you're listening to this. And I really love to uh, always read your your comments and and get your questions uh, via the social media. So um, let's let's move on. Let's go on with the show. And let me tell you about what happened today. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Now, those of you that have been listening to me for a while, 
you know that I love to go to these fantasy festivals or fantasy fairs. And the Netherlands, you wouldn't expect that to be a country of cosplayers and fantasy lovers, but it actually is. Even though our country itself geographically is kind of flat, and if you think of Holland, you think of cows and windmills, but you don't think of, of, of wizards and elves and dwarves and gnomes, but... It is a massive thing in the Netherlands. And so today, I went to one of these festivals, um, which is held twice a year the f in, the, in the springtime. So this week, it is uh, near the city of Utrecht. So that's in the center of the country. Uh, and it is actually on the grounds of a, if he, of a huge castle. The castle itself looks as if it is straight from the Middle Ages. It looks like a fairy tale castle. It's beautiful. It's got these big towers, and it's the the all the the woodwork is painted in red and white. But it's a romanticized castle. It, it's in fact it is built on old ruins, but it was designed by a very famous architect in the Netherlands, uh, uh, Pierre Kuipers, who also if you've ever been to Amsterdam, has designed the central station of, of Amsterdam, which is famous. And there are hundreds of buildings and mostly churches that uh, Pierre Kuipers um, has, uh, has designed and also partially built. Uh, and it was not what wasn't just the building. He also did the entire decoration of the interior. It was a very like a micromanager. I've been to a museum that shows the the incredible amount of of drawings and designs. It was a whole. It wasn't just this one guy. He had an entire uh, workplace with people who who worked for him and helped him to build so many. Um, uh, so many churches and, and, and castles and, and, and stations and whatnot. And the cool thing is, he was a bit of a romanticist. He, he loved uh, to, to, to create something that evoked fairy tales. And all his buildings have a certain elegance, but it's also a bit faux medieval. And so uh, some, some people are, are very critical. They say, ah, it's just fake. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a bit... Uh, kind of uh, trying to please everyone, uh, but it doesn't have its its own style. But I think because it's so um, it, it's so easy to, to connect with it, because this is how we imagine uh, the, the fairy tale castles to be. Uh, a lot of people loved what he did. Also, the churches, they were just superbly decorated, very rich, very vibrant, beautiful colors, just drawings and 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 statues and stained glass everywhere um i i love it i don't care if it is not exactly like let's say authentic but um it's his own style and and so that was the 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 backdrop of this big fantasy festival and there are literally thousands and thousands of people that come from all over the netherlands but also from germany and from belgium um and I would say about 80% of them is in cosplay. And uh, in the past, you would see a lot of people that would dress up as their favorite heroes from movies and television series, or, you know, you would have hobbits and, and dwarves and elves. You would have always a lot of cosplayers um, based on characters from uh, Game of Thrones, for instance. Um, the occasional superhero, the occasional Star Wars cosplayer, but... But more recently, and especially today, I noticed that the major trend is people who design their own 
imagined fantasy costume. And uh, it's always a joy to to go and to just admire all the work and the creativity that people poured into these costumes. The only the only sad aspect of today was that it started raining after one hour and uh, and it didn't stop anymore. So the entire day it has been raining. There was just an hour around four o'clock when it was already getting a bit colder and a bit darker that it, 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 it drizzled a bit and then it started to rain again. And I initially wanted to stay until 10 o'clock in the evening. That's when they, they usually have like everything is lit and it's, it's very cozy. They've got fires but I was so drenched and I was so cold. I just wanted to go home. So that is why you are listening to this podcast. Otherwise, I would still be there. Now, tomorrow, I'll, I'll, I'll go back there after Mass. Um, so that's going to be a, a bit of a shorter day. Um, the predictions are not that good. Um, according to the weather forecast, there is like a 95% chance of rain. And again, same type of rain as today. But tomorrow, at least I will have an umbrella with me and I uh, will make sure that I have warm clothes because, um, gosh, I was I was so cold. Now, this was uh, um, the second big event within just a few days because last Sunday, if you follow me on social media, you know, um, I, I ran a marathon. I ran a marathon of Enschede um, and uh, that too was... It wasn't as cold as today, but it was still overcast, um, and of course, it was quite uh, quite an, an, um, a, a strain on my legs after two weeks of hard work in 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 the UK. So initially, I didn't even want to run the marathon, but my my trainer said, "You can do it. I, you just take it easy. Just don't aim. Don't try to run too fast." Because I trained to actually. Um, run very very much faster than in the past and he said just just go for like four hours and 20 minutes something like that so that so i did and also i and i ran a personal record i ran the whole marathon in four hours and seven minutes and i had some energy to spare so my plan is in the fall in in november the beginning of november i'm gonna run another marathon which is kind of out in the open apparently it's a very small uh, marathon in terms of uh, participants, a couple of hundred people, um, but but the organization is is really cool. They're very kind because it's so small. Um, it's a very um, gentle experience, uh, according to those that have already run it. But I'm going to try to set another personal record, and I'm going to take um, advantage of the of the next couple of months to improve my overall form and also to to focus on speed because I'm now 55 years old, which every time I say it is like, really? I don't, I don't feel 55 at all. But <laughs> so most people tell me this is usually not the, the age to set, to set new personal records. Um, but I believe I can. I want to ultimately maybe next year, Maybe it will take a little bit longer, but I ideally want to run a marathon in three hours and 30 minutes. That's that's kind of my aim. But I'll have to make it happen in, in the next couple of years because, you know, <laughs> once you hit 60, um, maybe maybe I'll slow down a little bit. So anyway, it was a it was a really really cool day, um, and I I'm I'm happy to go back there tomorrow. I was trying to 
to film a vlog, um, but I also gave up on that. It was like, it's raining so hard. And um, and it, it's also when the circumstances are like this, It's it, when I was in Rome, uh, when I was in, in London, it was similar. That first day when it was raining so hard, I only took photos. And for those of you, by the way, that are patrons, um, I want to remind you again that I post a ton of photos. Whenever I go on a, on a trip, like today, I post uh, a, a ton of photos on uh, in a special channel on the Discord server. So this, this may be actually an incentive for you to, uh, to join the Patreon community and to also join um, the community on Discord. Um, because for me, it's it's such an easy way to to share my adventures and to show people what I'm doing as I'm doing it. And if I would were to do that on social media, on Instagram or on Facebook, um, it's just too much, too, way too many photos. And then, of course, you get also penalized by the algorithm if you kind of overshare. But I know that those of you that are following me on Discord, you can just choose to go to that channel and see all my photos and read my stories. Um, but you can also do it weeks later. It doesn't go away. So if, if you've heard the podcasts from London and you wonder, well, what did it look like? Well, there is, uh, there are a couple of hundred photos on that channel on the Discord server. And it works really well. I also love it that people can react to it and just ask questions or comment. Um, which, by the way, is going to be helpful for the food or the kitchen segment of this show uh, later uh, in this hour because we need to talk about fries and vinegar. And I posted a, a photo with a question and I got so many replies to that. But that's all coming up a little bit later. What else is going on um, this week? Uh, we... we uh, for the community also, uh, my apologies for the, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about because you're not part of the of the patrons. Um, but I, I did do some work on the Discord server itself. So we now have clubs. We have a, a book club. We have a, a cooking club. We have um, a video game club. And so that's another kind of improvement of the Discord experience so that people that love to play video games, you can just go to that particular channel and exchange ideas. And, um, and for the book club... Uh, what I hope is that we can give each other tips and maybe even at one point read a book together that I've always wanted to do that. You know, to just take one book, read it together and then um, maybe even go live uh, during the week, uh, an hour or so, and just talk about the chapters that we just read. It's, it's something that a lot of people do at home, like domestic book clubs. Um, but... Uh, if you're like me, you live alone, you don't have any, you know, fellow readers anywhere anywhere near, being able to do that online in the Discord uh, community, I think, could be really fun. So if you're interested in that, if you would like to join uh, that book club, even if you have suggestions of a book that we could read, let me know. Always open for, uh, for new ideas. Um, I'm currently working on two Star Wars documentaries. Um... I've now filmed at the Star Wars Celebration last year in Anaheim. Also filmed in London, of course. Really, really wonderful material. What I want to do now is sit down and make two separate Star Wars communities, uh, commu <laughs> documentaries. And while I was running the marathon, I actually came up with how I'm going to distinguish them. Because, of course, the events are very similar. But the story that I want to tell with those two documentaries um, is going to be very, very different. So the first one that is based on what I filmed in Anaheim is um, 
I, I was looking for a good title, and I was thinking maybe "Built on Hope." This is one of the one of the great quotes from the newer movies: is like, "Rebellions are built on hope," and hope is a central theme in Star Wars. And in that documentary, I want to show, I want to go back in my in, in my own history. Um, like my vocation as a priest started during a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage to Lourdes. And that literally changed the direction of my life for the rest of eternity. I wouldn't be talking to you if I hadn't gone on that pilgrimage. And so when I was in Anaheim, I noticed that actually an event like a Star Wars celebration has a lot in common with a pilgrimage. And there are so many of those similarities that that will allow me to build a bridge between my own history and, and my experience as a pilgrim, um, but also connect that to the experience of Star Wars fans today uh, and, and, and show them that there's actually something else going on. It's not just being a fan and getting together and hear about the latest Star Wars news. No, there are, also, there are rituals as well. There is storytelling. There is, there is transmission of values. You could even say that some people feel a vocation after they went to their first Star Wars celebration. They feel called to do something, to maybe join a fan club. Or There was even a couple, and the guy proposed to his future wife on that Star Wars convention. And I, I was there, I filmed that, and I talked to the, to the lady. And um, I, I think that's going to be a really really interesting story to tell the second documentary um immediately i already knew the title before i went to london is going to be called this is the way and i want to focus that star wars documentary on how star wars gives fans a sense of direction in life and a moral compass so it's going to be focusing on how the story of star wars is a vehicle for for deep-rooted values that I think at least partially go back to biblical values and to Christian values. It's not by accident that two of the main writers of Star Wars right now, Dave Filoni and, uh, uh, what's his name, um, uh, John Favreau, both have a Catholic background. And so you, you, can, you can see that in the way they tell stories and the, 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 the moral choices that they present us with. So... Um, and I, I had a, a, a number of really good interviews about exactly that, how Star Wars has changed people people's choices in life. And for me, that is why Star Wars is important. It's not just because it's such a big franchise. No, it's important because it helps change the world, hopefully for the better. And I want to talk about that. So all that coming up. So I, I've got my plate full of work, but it's all stuff that I enjoy doing. And, um, and I'm so grateful that I have the energy uh, because of <laughs> a couple of months ago, you may, you may remember that I was so tired all the time. And, and right now, no problems whatsoever. So I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> Catholics rock! Before I talk about uh, Star Wars, we need to talk about Easter. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? So, as you know, uh, Easter is the beginning of the Easter time, and that entire period 
is 50 days long. But why? Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Now, as you may know, the Bible loves numbers, and uh, there are lots and lots of numbers with a special significance. Think of the number seven, which is you know, days of creation. So seven is, there are seven sacraments. It, is, it means that number seven signifies um, completeness. Um, you have the number, um, the number three. Uh, you know, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The number eight is also important because it's it's seven plus one, the eighth day. Um, uh, you, you have um, 40, the number 40, the 40 days of Lent that go back to the 40 years that the people of Israel uh, walked through the desert to go to the promised land. And the 40 days of Lent, of course, go back to the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert without drinking or eating. And um, uh, so 40 is important. That is the duration of the time before Easter. But then at Easter starts an octave. That is eight days. Um, So seven plus one. And those eight days are considered to be the same day. So it's Easter for eight days. Even the liturgy makes like a standstill, which is, you know, has its perks and also its downsides. For instance, you may know that priests uh, are praying the liturgy of the hours. And so every every day you've got different psalms, except for the Easter octave. They're for eight days, the same psalms, the same thing, because the church says, hey, it's actually supposed to be like an eight-day day, a day that, that is eight days long. And so, yeah, we're not going to change the psalms because it's the same day. Um, but towards the end of the octave, you kind of like, okay, yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> anyway, and then the, the, that octave is part of 50 days, so it's even longer than Lent, and those 50 days are all qualified as Easter time. And that has to do with what what concludes those 50 days, which is the Feast of Pentecost. Now, in Greek, um, uh, penta is uh, the word for 50. So Pentecost is the 50th day. Why 50 days? Well, first of all, because that is when the event of Pentecost actually happened in, in when you read the Acts of the Apostles. Um, it was on the 50th day, on the Feast of Pentecost, that the disciples were together with Mary, and there was this sound that felt like the or sounded like the wind, and then something that looked like tongues of flame appeared, and they got filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, they were able to speak all the languages of the people that were um, that were in the city of Jerusalem at the time. So, uh, fifty days because that's when that happened. But there was a reason that everyone was in Jerusalem on the fiftieth day because that happened to be an, a Hebrew feast. It is the called the Hebrew Feast of Weeks, the Shavuot. Um, which was celebrated 50 days after Passover, which, of course, was why Jesus was originally in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover with his disciples, and that's when he had the, the Last Supper. So, in the Bible, Shavuot 
marked the wheat harvest in the land of Israel. Um, so that's around the time that they would go and harvest. And, and of course, when once the harvest is in, work is done and you want to celebrate. So it's a very old tradition that at the end of harvest, and there were, there were several harvests. There was also the fruit harvest, and that was another feast. But the, the grain harvest was celebrated with um, the, the, the Feast of Weeks. But in rabbinic tradition, uh, there was another meaning that was added to this Feast of Shavuot. And according to these rabbis, the 50th day after Shabbat was actually the same day that God gave the Torah, the law, the Ten Commandments, to Moses on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai. Like in in Dutch you say Sinai, Uh, English Sinai. So, um, of course, was that really that particular day? It doesn't matter. In tradition, it became also the commemoration of the revelation of the Torah uh, to Moses. So um, that day of, of, of Shavuot, of, the, of Pentecost, was a big deal. And that is why in the story of, of Pentecost, there, is, there are so many people, from not just from the, the regions around Jerusalem, but from all over the place and even from outside of the country. And this is why there were so many people that didn't even speak the local language and, and and why everybody was so stunned that they could hear these fishermen and, you know, these locals, the, the, the apostles, speak their language. And everybody's like, how is that possible? These guys have never been outside of their own region and, and yet we can all understand them. Um, so Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. And, and, and that is why this time of Easter takes 50 days and then it's Pentecost. Um, now you know. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Today I spent about two hours talking with a number of my friends in Hogwarts costumes. They were all dressed up in the Harry Potter style. (laughs) You know, there was one from Slytherin, one from Hufflepuff, one from Gryffindor. Um, And uh, even though they were all dressed in Harry Potter uh, outfit or clothes, and they were part of an encampment that was all Harry Potter themed, we spoke about Star Wars because these friends are not just not only Harry Potter fans, but they are also members of the 501st, which of course is this big international uh, community of, co- of Star Wars cosplayers. And so, <laughs> of course, we had to talk about Star Wars and about the Star Wars celebration and about costuming. I got some fantastic tips. Finally, I know how I can get my Stormtrooper costume. You know, this has been on my list since I was a child. Since the very first time I saw a stormtrooper, looks her droids, I was like, I want to, I want to be a stormtrooper. I want to have that. I wanted to be Luke Skywalker, obviously, but I also wanted to be a stormtrooper. And so, the thing that has held me held me back is it's so, it's so much work to make your own stormtrooper costume because you you can order the the elements. But then that's just based on the original 
um, casts that were made uh, for for A New Hope and then for a couple of newer movies. There are some slight alterations in the costuming. But then you get, so you could just get white plastic basically in a box. It's not that expensive, a couple of hundred bucks. But then what you have to do is you have to sit down and you have to um, cut it all out because, of course, not all stormtroopers are made equal. <laughs> there are some taller ones, some shorter ones. I'm kind of short for a stormtrooper. There are some larger ones and some thinner ones. So there's a lot of um, uh, adaptation that you have to do. And not only that, but in order to get approval, the costume has to be painted. And it has to be painted by hand. It has to be done in a very specific way. Otherwise, you will not get your costume approved and you cannot become a member of the 501st. And then there's all the rest. You know, you've got the, all the, the black underneath and the, the socks and the, the, the gloves and whatnot. So a lot of people love to do that and they spend weeks and weeks just kind of building and weathering their own Star Wars costume. I don't have time for that. I love to do that. But I just don't have the time for that. My life is too busy already. And still, I would love to have a Stormtrooper costume. So today I got a tip. There is a, there's a company in the UK. And you send them your measurements. And they will actually make a almost guaranteed approved costume that is, exact, is almost tailor-made. And they include everything you need. You just have to put it on. Take a few pictures, wait for approval, and then you're done. So I was like, yes, that's what I need to do. It's, of course, much more expensive than if you would make it yourself. But I'm thinking, if I were to make this myself, it would cost me days and days and days of work. There is a hidden price of that as well. If I have to work on a, on a costume, I can't work on anything else. So you know what? I'm just going to save up and I'm going to order this. And there's actually, you could also go, I think, I need to look up the firm and where exactly they are, they are based. But you can actually travel there. So maybe next time I go back to the UK and I want to go back, I want to go back tomorrow. I, I already miss London so much. I miss the wonderful people. I miss the fries with vinegar. There's so many reasons to go back. Why did I even come back to the Netherlands? Why? <laughs> but next time I go to the UK, I may actually make a stop there. And then they will just measure you up. So you're guaranteed to have something that fits you. And I also got a tip for Harry Potter uh, costumes. Um, there is, um, there is a, a company in Edinburgh, in Scotland, and you can go there and same thing. They will give you the exact... And, and that's actually the company that made the official costumes that were worn in the movie. And they are, they are exactly what they should what they what the actors what the actors wore now of course i had also a discussion with them about about that because um what's going to happen after now that we know that warner and you may have missed this but warner brothers has announced that they're going to do a total remake of the entire harry potter saga but this time it's not going to be done as movies they're going to do this as a 10-year television project Every season, they're going to spread out the production over 10 years. Every season is going to be based on one of the books. And so because, of course, the television series has a lot, of, a lot more room, 
they can b- go much closer to the original story, whereas, whereas the movies, of course, take a lot of uh, shortcuts and also some creative freedom to make it work as a movie. However, the big thing is, those movies are not that old. Just yesterday, I was watching uh, the first movie because I wanted to kind of check the the movie for the all the London locations where I've been. And I was watching it. I was like, I still, I love this movie. It still it totally works. And then the later movies, they have all the CGI and the, and the great costumes and sets. There's nothing wrong with these movies. They don't need to be remade. So is it just a money grab? Is it because Warner has just done this big merger with Discovery and they're now completely remodeling their entire business business model their whole setup even even hbo max is now going to be max and they're going to up the prices and oh man and they have actually said it out loud like we need to make more money and we need to make better use of all the franchises that we already have the rights to and harry potter is one of them and apparently they're they weren't too happy with the performance of the fantastic beasts uh, movies and so they talked with jk rowling there are some rumors that they even tried to buy the entire franchise, just like Disney did with Star Wars. You know, Disney bought Star Wars from George Lucas for, what is it, $4 billion? They already made their money back. <laughs> In about two years, they had made their money back. Um, but they have all the rights. They can do anything what they want with the story, and George Lucas is no longer involved. Warner apparently wanted to do the same with Harry Potter, especially because, of course, there's a lot of controversy around uh, certain of of uh, J.K. Rowling's positions in, in public. And so it, th- there's a lot of toxicity around Harry Potter, which, of course, for, <laughs> for Warner, that's not a good thing. You don't want that. So they try to buy it from her, but apparently she asked for such an outrageous amount of money that they just couldn't afford it. And it's probably a lot more than what George Lucas has asked, asked for Star Wars. So instead, they just did what they probably could negotiate with uh, uh, with J.K. Rowling, and that was, well, let's just redo the story. One advantage for the studios is that they can then hire all new actors, and especially unknown actors, um, and that's a lot cheaper than, than hiring the old actors again. Plus, they already have done all the design and stuff for the existing Harry Potter movie, so they can, they don't, the development is going to be a lot cheaper because a lot is already done, provided, of course, that they will use the same, the same castle, the same clothes, the same uh, CGI, maybe even. I'm, I don't know if they're going to do that. What if they suddenly completely change the way the characters look and the way they dress and the way Hogwarts looks? I don't think they're going to do that, of course, because you, you already have the Harry Potter theme parks in Universal Studios, and... I, I I think that, that that would be economically a very stupid thing to do because those are huge money makers for the franchise. So my guess is they're going to stay relatively close to what is already established as the way this Harry Potter world or the Wizarding world should look. But they're still going to tweak it. And so, yeah, because they need to sell toys. They need to sell new scarves. So it's going to be similar, but it, I guess they're going to change it up a little bit. But if it's if it's going to be good, I don't know. I got a bad feeling about it. But but I I hope it's going to be good because I I just like that story. 
I like that world. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about The Mandalorian. Um, the final episode of season three aired. It's only eight episodes long. It's so short. But I am very grateful that every single episode of season three of The Mandalorian felt like a movie. There were certain episodes where it looked like a movie. It could have been a movie. Just add a little bit to it and release it in theaters and it would have worked. But this is also, I think... What I love about it is is to see how much Star Wars keeps improving, improving already with Andor, especially story-wise and in terms of dialogue and just the quality of the writing is so much better than anything we've seen before. And now with The Mandalorian, maybe the writing is still similar to the previous two seasons, but the execution, the special effects, the way that they now also use live locations and CGI, the scope all of a sudden feels much more like what we were used to with big theatrical releases. But this is still just television, so I couldn't be more excited. I love the way they ended the story. I'm not going to spoil it. You have to, see, to watch it yourself. But I think I think they did a terrific job. I love the overall... Um, I need to do a video about this. Um, there... There are so many similarities between the story of the, the the scattered tribes of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel, and the tribes of the Mandalorians. The Mandalorians are also divided into separate tribes, and this whole season was about uniting all those different tribes. And they actually have—it's a bit like the schisms in in the Christian Church, where we all have the same origins, we have the same to a certain extent, the same tradition that is our foundation. But then once the separation occurs, these traditions start to also di diverge. And and sometimes they're total opposites. Um, so it becomes very difficult to unite Christians that were formerly separate, that have been separated for, for many centuries to bring them back together. Um, and this season was all about how difficult that is in an imaginary universe. How, how do you get these Mandalorians together if if some of them think that the other Mandalorians are apostates? Apostates? <laughs> because they they've taken off their helmet, which is absolutely the worst thing you can do in the eyes of the, let's say, the more orthodox Mandalorians. So there is so much of Christian and biblical symbolism in this third season. I, and I, I love the, the, the message that this season gave and it's like we need to come together because the separations and the schisms that's not just something that happened in churches in religious uh, groups this happens all the time in our modern day societies think of all the schisms between the the pro-vaccinations and the counter you know the, the people that say it's all it's all it's all fake it's all uh, 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 um a conspiracy. Um, think of the, the divide, the political divide in so many countries where it seems as if we will never be one people anymore. It's like it's, it's, we, we talk to each other, we talk about other people as if they're part of a schism and we don't want anything to do with them and we feel that they are a threat because we, of course, are on the right side. Um but ultimately, we're all children of the same father. And our father in heaven 
really wants us to be one. And this is so important in what Jesus preached. He said, you have to be one. I pray so that you may be one and that you don't uh, give in to, to all these temptations to, 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 to step away from one another. It's, 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 it's possible to have different opinions. Even the apostles were sometimes fighting. But it should never be a reason to to step away from one another, to not to no longer love one another, to no longer listen to one another. And so I, I love it that this this Star Wars story, which of course is completely made up, but it still shows us in a mirror what what is our job right now, what is what is our vocation, our calling. And so when I was talking about how I wanted to you know, give these Star Wars documentaries that I'm working on a little bit more depth. This is what I want to talk about. Because Star Wars is also about the world, the real world that we live in. But sometimes stories can be aspirational. They can wake us up. They can tell us, like, wait a minute, if these Mandalorians can come together, then maybe I should also try to come closer to my brother and sister, even though, you know, they're so different from from me. Speaking of differences... um, I've started to watch a new show because it was so highly rated. Um, and But it's all about division. It's all about awful people doing awful things to one another. And it's called Succession. Um, it's, um, it's a show on HBO Max, if I'm not mistaken. It's now going to be Max, just Max. Um, and it, it's, it tells the story of a family where the father is uh, running a media company and apparently he's been very successful because he's got a ton of money. They're all millionaires. Um, but it also made him extremely ruthless. He is a, he's, he's a king and you could also say a dictator. He's, he's, he doesn't have any good bedside manners. However, in the first few episodes of Succession, he falls ill. He gets a stroke, he ends up in the hospital, and now the children, his one daughter and three sons, are all trying to take over. This is why the series is called Succession. And these children have always been kind of united because their father was so awful to them. And so you get this natural bond between those children, but at the same time, they're also completely messed up. You know, they've been raised by a horrible father, and of course, it has uh, done a lot of damage. And so it shows that these children, too, can be extremely ruthless and crazy and do horrible things. Um, and then, of course, there is the extended family. The you know, the, the one is married, and the other one has a concubine, and uh, it's just insane. One is about to get married, but is unfaithful, and and all that is is just this huge. It's like a bit like Game of Thrones, but in our modern day and age. And what fascinates me is, I keep asking myself, why am I watching this? I cannot recommend this as a as something you should watch because it edifies you. Not at all. I would actually warn you 
that if you if you are going to watch this, if you want to watch this, it's 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 a bit shocking. And sometimes it's very shocking. Even in the first episode, there were moments like where I was like, "Oh my goodness, uh, I'm not sure if I want to watch this." But and yet, I am I am very much eager to know how this is going to evolve. And I've only watched about seven episodes now. Um, every episode is about an hour, and there are four seasons of this. And I wonder why am I so intrigued? I think it is. A bit similar to similar to the reasons that I, I I kept watching Game of Thrones, even though from a moral point of view, those stories are really not good. Very different, even though they are considered to be fantasy. But it's not Tolkien. Tolkien also has bad guys, but the bad guys are not the heroes. They are the opponents of the heroes and the true heroes, the elves and the dwarves and the 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 the, the, the knights and the uh, the what. Who did I forget? The dwarves, the elves, <laughs> the man, and dwar- and the hobbits. Okay, <laughs> I need to brush up on my Tolkien. <laughs> but um, it is in 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 its essence a very moral story, and you can read this with kids. Kids can read this. You cannot let kids watch Game of Thrones. You can certainly not w- watch uh, Succession with your kids. But what intrigues me is. Um, you want it's very well. First of all, it's very well written. It's extremely well acted. The acting is 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 incredible. Um, but you also kind of want to figure out why these people behave the way they do. And this is what I appreciate of the series: is the more the more the story advances, the more you you start to learn about how broken they truly are, but also how. Broken people have caused even more damage. And so in a, in a kind of twisted way, it is a moral story, but it is a cautionary tale. It shows you how bad people can truly be so that you are thinking about, well, I need to be careful not to become like them because it's a slippery slope, you know? So it's a cautionary tale, but that would also be my... Uh, review. It's a cautionary review. Yes, it is a very good series, very well written, very well acted. But be careful, be cautious, because you're not going to see good people. You're going to see terrible people doing terrible things. And yet, hey, look at the Bible. There's some pretty bad stuff (laughs) done by pretty bad people there. And yet we still read those stories in church. So, hmm. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Speaking of stories, oh boy, did I read a number of stories. Um, while I was in, in London uh, and in, in uh, Leicester, I fell behind on my reading list. I, I, I plan to read 150 books, but when I'm traveling and when I'm with friends like Liz and Michiel, of course, I, I cannot just read a book for hours and hours. I'm, I'm way too busy for that, and I just want to be with my friends. So I fell behind. But this past week, I've been catching up, and I love it. I've now read 40 books, so I've got 110 books to go, five books behind, 
which is better than eight books behind. That's kind of what what I saw on my list when once I came back. Um, but I'm I'm pretty confident that in you know a week or maybe two weeks I'll be uh, I'll be uh, right on track. So here are the books that I've read since I came back from the UK. First of all, the second book in the Mistborn series, The Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson. I already had started reading that, uh, that book uh, beforehand, but I finished it uh, uh, once I came back. Wonderful second book. I love the Mistborn series. Um, it's, uh, it's about this fantasy world where some people have magical powers, but in order to use magic, they have to ingest metals. And <laughs> they use these metals inside of their bodies to, to evoke certain power. So they can, they can push and pull, and sometimes they can feel what other, the magic that other people are using. And the first book was really wor- much focused on world-building, and on explaining this magical system. The second book is all about how this world is changing and how even in a short time span, there is mythology uh, that that is constructed. Like there is a character in the first book that is now no longer there, but then there are myths. And there's even almost like a religious movement that is based on his legacy. And so... The, the main characters in the story have to somehow figure out if they want to be part of that legacy, if they are want to be part of that myth, or well, maybe they're not just not good enough. And then, of course, there is this kind of deeper, deeper th- evil going on. There's something like in the mist or related to the mist, and you you don't really know what's going on, but there's this kind of like lurking threat in the background and all there's this big reveal at the end of the second book um which makes you really want to read the third book so i'm going to read that for that third book very very soon i love love this series um i i read something totally different a book called femina um by janina ramirez and this was recommended to me by by liz von wessem um who is an historian she's a doctor in history and uh, we were talking at one point about the role of women in in the history and in the history of the church. And she, she said, I've, I, I've got just a book for you. Femina, the book Femina is, um, is also written by a historian. So Ramirez is a historian and, and I think a journalist as well. And she, um, she paints the history of a number of women in the Middle Ages mostly that is actually so different from what I what I have heard about these women. Uh, a lot of the history is, is written by men, let's be honest. Um, and so the accomplishments of women are often glossed over. And in fact, we even have this idea that women didn't count in history. And it's only very recently after women got the right to vote and then they started working as well and they started to have careers. We all, we all think that the emancipation of women is a very modern, recent thing. And that in the rest of history, in the Dark Ages, these women were oppressed and they were just there to cook food and clean the house. But that is a total falsification of the true history of the Middle Ages. There were women that were so incredibly important, and that's also true in the history of the church. Think of the Joan of Arc. Um, 
the church in France wouldn't be the same without her. And there are so many other women. Um, and, and what I love about this book is, is it's the author is a very good storyteller. So it almost every chapter almost begins like a, like a novel. And then she goes on to explain, this is what you may have heard about this person. But this is who she truly was. It's a very good book. And I, I when it was done, I was like, give me more. So she has written a, a couple of other books that I also now want to read because I've never read history told in, in this way. I, I can really recommend it. Very, very cool book, Femina. Then I read a book about Charles Dickens. Um, written by Kay Jones, uh, is an, an audio book, and it it's um, I, I never really I've read a lot of Charles Dickens. I loved these books um, uh, when I was in high school, but I didn't know much about Charles Dickens himself. So this was kind of a history of his life and what inspired him to write his books and his personal life. Um, I liked it because it was like, oh wow, I had no idea that 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 was where Charles Dickens came from and, you know, what was going on in his life. And, and a lot of, uh, as usual, what happened to him in real life inspired his books and his fiction. I also read uh, a collection of short stories by John Lanchester. Um, I already read another book by him, um, which was called The Wall, which was a, a, an interesting story. Um, I, I reviewed it, so I won't go over that book. Um, I reviewed it in, in, in maybe a half a year ago on, on the show. Uh, but this, this is a collection of, of the first stories that he wrote, and it's, uh, it's called Reality and Other Stories. And the best way to describe these stories are... Um, there, there's this Netflix show. Is it called Broken Mirror or something like that? It's these, these stories where it's a bit science fiction-y, it's, it's in the near future... And there's always a twist in the story, or or maybe um, uh, the Twilight Zone. Um, I think most of you will probably have watched uh, one or two episodes of the Twilight Zone. These stories are a bit similar, but then it's it's taking place in in our modern times, and so there's often a technological component. Some of the stories are really interesting and intriguing. Other stories are kind of like yeah, eh. there's this guy who is in prison, and every day he's they they. They let him go through an entire list of things that he has to choose, like which kind of handcuffs do you wear, which sandals, and and every day is the same ritual. And then you're like, okay, so where is this going? Where is this going? And then the end of the story is just that, so that was it. And there's no conclusion, there's no reveal, there's no explanation, and I'm thinking, yeah, uh, thanks for nothing. <laughs> so it's a mixed bag. I also read Henry VIII, another... Um, Audiobook, uh, the, the original book is written by Simon Court, um, and it's the history, in a nutshell, of Henry VIII, who, of course, was the cause of the, of the separation between the Church of Rome and the papacy and what is now the Anglican Church. And that book was a real eye-opener. I kind of, of course, studied this in, in, when I was still in, 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 in theology, doing my theology studies, uh, but this book was was more detailed, and uh, what struck me was how tragic this story is. Henry VIII was a psychopath. I mean, seriously. He had a couple of his wives de de be decapitated. He was extremely neurotic and, and uh, uh, erratic in his behavior. 
He started off kind of like a guy who liked chivalry and bit his head in the clouds. And at the end of his life, he's he's a horrific person. He could be straight out of out of Game of Thrones. And and to to know that 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 guy, because of the m- really terrible choices that he made in life was actually the cause for the separation between the Anglican Church and the Church of Rome. I, I wrote in my review on Goodreads, it's like, I, I'm curious how people that are currently members of the Anglican Church, how they look at the origin of their church. Maybe they'll say, well, you know what? <clears throat> Even in the Bible, you see that God works through through, through bad people. So um, maybe Henry VIII, in a certain way, was still somehow part of God's plan. Um, and our true foundation is, of course, not Henry VIII, but it's the Bible and it's, um, you know, the, the tradition of the early church. But still, there's this guy. If Henry VIII wouldn't have done what he did, we would still be one church. And now, of course, we've, we've grown apart. And the Anglican Church now has allowed uh, women to be ordained. And, and even in the whole... Uh, history of uh, Anglican Church at one point it was so unclear if these ordinations were still valid at, at first they still had apostolic succession so these these ordinations were valid but illicit it means it wasn't allowed but it was still valid there's still apostolic succession but at one point it became so unclear that um, the Pope has said you know we can no longer guarantee these these ordinations to be in the apostolic lineage so yeah they are null and utter void so the catholic church no longer recognizes these ordinations and now of course they're also ordaining women which uh, makes it even more difficult to bring these two branches of of the originally catholic church back together however you know never give up always try to understand each other and also be critical of your own history and study history uh, because you know that that can enlighten you and help you to maybe not make the mistakes of the people that came before us and then the final book that i just finished yesterday is called wrong place wrong time by gillian McAllister. um she wrote this her first novel and it's about a, a mother who um who witnesses her son do something horrible, terrible, at least that's uh, at that time seems to be the worst case scenario. And then she wakes up the next day and it's now the day minus one. So she, she lives, it's, she goes back to the day before that event. And then the next day, it's two days before that. And she starts jumping back in time and it's earlier and earlier and earlier. And at, at first, of course, she's like, "Where's this gonna? How is this gonna end? You know? Uh, and and why am I traveling back in time? So it's it's, it's a bit like uh, Groundhog Day, but it's it's going back in time. Um, and then she starts to understand. Well, maybe I'm going back in time because somehow fate wants me to correct what happens and to understand why that happened and maybe prevent it. And so, in that respect, it's an original story. Um, however, yeah, I kind of at the two thirds of the book, I was like, I th- I think I know what's going on, and I think I know, I know the plot, and <laughs> and then it was exactly what I thought it would happen, 
And that kind of took the joy out of reading the last part of the book. It was like, yeah, you made it a little bit too obvious what was going on. So mm, it was an okay book, but I kind of the premise made me expect more than the book actually delivered. Okay, it's time for the food and health segment. Speaking of health, I I really have to work harder on on maintaining or reestablishing my sleep discipline. Ever since I've been to the UK, my sleep is all over the place. I go to bed way too late. I don't sleep enough. I like my average is now six hours. And before the UK, it was eight hours. And I, I've told you how much that had been beneficiary, beneficial, I should say, to my overall well-being. Um, and, and now I just can't get back in the rhythm. Maybe also because there's a one-hour time difference between London and Amsterdam. Uh, but it's more than that. It's also because it was a bit of an uprooting <laughs> kind of this. It was such a different time. And then for two weeks, that's a long period of time. So my, my whole system is a bit out of whack. But uh, And then, of course, this weekend having or going to this festival, it's not helping. But starting next week, I'm going to be a little bit more... Um, I want to go to bed at 10, wake up at 6, like I used to do before... Everything got out of whack. Now, there is another area of health where I can do my best, and it's much easier, and that is, of course, what I cook. I try to cook healthy, eat lots of vegetables, not too much meat. There's this one thing that I ate in the UK, however, that I now want to replicate, and it would be reason enough for me to go back to the UK very soon, and that is my discovery. I can't believe it, it took me 55 years to discover this, but to discover the joys of vinegar on fries. Seriously. And I discovered that not even, uh, well, actually not even in London. I think the first time I, I, I tried that out was when I was staying with Liz and Michiel and we had fish and chips. And oh my gosh, that is so good. Fish and chips is, 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 was a hundred times better than any fish and chips that I ate uh, before especially the stuff that they serve you here in, in the Netherlands. Or I had my first fish and chips was in Rome, actually, in an Irish pub. Um, yeah, <laughs> don't ask. But the big difference is the, the vinegar, I always thought, you know, why? Fries, vinegar, no, no, that is so wrong. I actually tried it out once when I made fries myself. Uh, that was back when I still had a regular fryer. Not now I have an air fryer, and those fries are just nah. They're not really fried, you know. It's just heated up potatoes. <laughs> but but anyway, when I still had a fryer, I once was like I was intrigued. Why do the English put uh, vinegar on fries? And so I took just regular kitchen vinegar, you know, the white stuff or the transparent stuff, and I put that on my fries. I took a bite. It was like, ew, golly, no, oh, please, God, no, no, this is so wrong, why? And I never tried it afterwards. It's like, this is the most horrible thing I've ever tasted. It's soggy, it's it's so sour, and then just the, the you don't taste the fries anymore. It's just, you have your entire mouth is filled with, with the taste of vinegar. Little did I know that even though it's called fries with vinegar, it has to be a specific type of vinegar. 
<laughs> it has to be malt vinegar. And malt vinegar is so different from, you know, <laughs> the usual vinegar that I put in my salads. Malt vinegar is, as the name implies, based on, on malt that I think is uh, fermented. And the vinegar itself is a bit brown, and it has a very mild taste. It's it Actually, it's quite fragrant, quite tasty, but it's nothing, it doesn't have that, that acidity of, of regular vinegar. And so I tried it in, in Leicester, I tried it again on the boat, posted a picture of the, the little... Um, it was a little plastic, uh, what is it, sachet, or how do you call that in English, the little container of, of, of vinegar. And I was like, okay, yes or no, vinegar on fries. And then the hundreds of replies. Some people were like, yes, oh, by all means, are you still in, in English waters or already in international waters? Yeah, go for it. And then the other half was like, oh, please, no, 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 I would never eat that. And I think that most of those naysayers probably were thinking about regular vinegar. And yeah, don't try that at home. So now my quest is, how do I get malt vinegar? Because it turns out that there, this is a type of vinegar that they don't sell in the Netherlands. You can only get it in like two or three very specialized expat stores in The Hague. And then it, it's super expensive. You also have to pay for extra packaging, and uh, it's insane. Whereas in the supermarket in um, in in London, um, I think you could buy a liter for like a buck or something like it. Now maybe two bucks for a liter. It was dirt cheap. So next time I go to to the UK, I know that I'm going to take a huge bag with me, and I'm going to load it with with malt vinegar. With all these, they've got crisps. They call them crisps. I call them potato chips. But they have got all these nice snacks in in flavors that are so much better than what we can get here in the Netherlands. Man, I could have smuggled a container full of that stuff. But I didn't. And now I regret it. So I, I need to go back. I need to go back to the UK. It's so simple. I need to go back. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. So, I've been filming a lot in, uh, in the UK. And also today. And I, this, is, for me, is a great way to get kind of back in the saddle. I need to start filming again, start editing again, um, because that is that is what I want to focus on. Um, I, 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 I've wasted a lot of my time just creating all these short videos about, you know, my review of the Star Wars finale. Just the other day, I spent like an entire day on a one-minute video. It gets no views, and I'm thinking, why do I keep doing that? focus on documentaries because those are that's my craft that is what nobody else can do anyone can do videos about you know with reviews and tiktoks but let me do documentaries that have what but in order to improve my craft i also need to learn from 
what I'm currently experiencing. And one of the big issues that I struggled with in, in London and in, um, in Leicester to a certain extent, I didn't film that much in Leicester, but I did film a lot in London. Uh, two things. First of all, my camera, my cameras, because I've got two Canon M50s and I've used them for four years now. I already made my money back. They're very cheap cameras, relatively cheap. I think I bought the, each camera was about 80, 800, including a lens. And then I got the Sigma lenses for about 350 a piece, a very sensitive, good, good glass, very fast lenses. So I used a good lens today to film, nice bokeh, like blurry background and stuff. But the one issue that I struggled with today and also in London was they are not weather sealed. They're, they're, they're consumer cameras. So they uh, get damp. And uh, my big problem was that they, you can only use this. You have to use the screen to operate the camera. But the screen itself reacts to the, to the rain, to the water. And so I, while I was filming, the, rain, the drops of rain on the screen were actually affecting the shutter speed and was messing up everything. And uh, I, I was even getting nervous that maybe if, if water leaks into the camera, the innards of the camera, that could break the, the circuits. It could short-circuit the whole thing. And then I'd have to throw away the camera. So I'm thinking if I'm going to continue... This outdoor filming, my I need to get a camera that is weather sealed, and not just like dust proof or something like that. No, it has to be able to operate in the rain, um, which means I have to go to another class of cameras. The second thing that I struggled with was that the the Canon M50, even though it's a lovely camera, but it has a very tiny sensor, which means that uh, no matter what lens you put on it. Um, in order to get that widescreen effect, uh, where, where you you can, for instance, film an entire building, or I film a lot in 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 churches and on St. Peter's Square, you need to have an ultra wide lens. But those ultra wide lenses, first of all, are very expensive. Plus, they're not usually not very good. They get blurry in the edges. However, the my next camera, I want that to be a full frame camera, and that means it has a much bigger sensor. So it can, even with like relatively regular lenses, still capture a lot of the surroundings. And I'm, I'm often talking to the camera, but I also want to have a context. And so I'm, I'm currently in talks with, uh, with uh, or actually I've been talking about this with, with Hugo, uh, my cameraman uh, that I worked with for many years. Uh, I've, I've often talked about, you know, what should be my next camera? And he says, you got to go for the Sony uh, FX3. Uh, Sony FX3 is like the Sony um, AS7 III. Um, it's a full-frame camera. It's made for cinematographers. It's actually Netflix-approved. Netflix oh, that's another thing I forgot. My Canon can only film in 1080p, which at the time, you know, full HD. What not to like? Well, how the world has changed. 4K is now the standard for if you ever want to do anything on Netflix, 4K is the minimum that they ask. And so I'm um, thinking of, of the FX3. However, it's so expensive. Those full-frame cameras, not only the camera is expensive. So the camera, the body itself is like 4,900 euros. It's just the body. You don't even have a lens. Uh, like a lens, like a zoom lens, 24 to 70 
um, so fast lens, but not not a big zoom lens. I think it's, I think it was like two thousand euro, more than no twenty four hundred euros. Just one lens. There's a cheaper equivalent. It's a Sigma lens that's around a thousand. Um, but that one apparently has is not entirely weather sealed. And I'm thinking if I get new equipment, I want it to last. It needs to be working in any circumstance um but that brings the total already like above 6500 euros for just a camera one camera Whew. yeah I, I probably need to first get a job and uh, or maybe get a contract to to film a couple of documentaries and then so i can make the money back but this is this this is way beyond my budget the other option would be to film more you know that i'm still waiting for the iphone 15 once they switch to usb-c i already have one of my followers who has sponsored my next iphone so i'm currently uh, uh using an iphone 10 which is kind of like an intermediate iphone that that uh, one of my listeners uh, graciously gifted me um but the iphone 15 is um, what I hope is that it can function for 95% of my vlogs. Maybe not for documentary filming, but definitely the stuff that, like today, I would film that with an iPhone next time uh, because it's already so good. I mean, I've, I've seen the footage uh, that, that Rob Cubasco shot with his iPhone, I think it was 14, it was just stunning. It was so good. It's HDR. It's, oh, oh, my goodness. So, yeah. The iPhone for the quick vlogging stuff, and, of course, iPhones are also weatherproof or, or you know, waterproof even. Um, and then and then maybe a, a Sony FX3 for, for the big stuff. For the big stuff. Always good to have a wish list. <laughs> Something on the horizon. But, on the other hand, you know... It's gear. These are tools that will enable me to become better and to deliver better products. So I think that's... I. <laughs> it's easier for me to justify a purchase like that than, you know, a, a new TV or a, a, a gaming PC or stuff like that. That's just for fun. But I'm the only beneficiary. All right, here's my inspirational thought of the week. And of course... I talked about Easter and Pentecost. It's about the Holy Spirit. And this is a quote from Pope Francis from 2014, almost 10 years ago. And he said, Only the Holy Spirit is able to kindle diversity, multiplicity, and at the same time bring about unity. And I think it's because the Holy Spirit is... God's love and only love has those two qualities it makes everything different and special and unique and at the same time it makes everything one we're all as different as we are we're one family we're united by this same love that has created us and will last forever have a wonderful rest of your day we'll talk soon God bless <laughs>